Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and we do, we turn our eyes to your son, to the son of David, to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, to the good shepherd, and to the door, and to the Savior. And Father, I pray that today what we have done and what we will do would be honoring to you. Lord, I thank you so much for what it is that you have going on on this campus, in our families, in our ministries, and in our midst. And we thank you. We love you. We take this moment and we pause and we rest in your goodness, in your mercy, and in your justice. And so, Father, I pray now that you would give me words to speak, that they would be clear and helpful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm uh, executive pastor here at Bethel, and uh, Pastor Ken allowed me to, to speak this week. He and Joe got away for a well-deserved couple of days out of town, and it's been a wonderful day. I know I'm a little bit biased with that, but it's been a great day. It's great to be part of this community uh, and as Pastor Ken said, even on Friday night, we had Schomburg Christian School orientation. Just want to say thank you so much for the teachers and staff and faculty that are here. And it's starting to get closer and closer to the end of summer. And maybe you feel that. But we're actually not going to be able to get out of summer without one more heat wave, without one more reminder that it can get hot here and it can get hot in other places. We've had a beautiful summer around here in Chicagoland, but there are other parts of the United States that have really felt the heat. So the, the saguaro cactus in Arizona, maybe you guys have seen this on the news uh, these cactus are no joke. They are tough old plants. They can live up to 200 years. They can weigh up to, to 12,000 pounds because of all of the water they hold. But yet in Arizona, this symbol of Arizona, the, the, the arms are falling off of them. They're leaning. They're collapsing. They're causing damage in the desert and in the city because of the heat that they're experiencing, because of the drought that they're experiencing. These cactus are built for this. They, they, they patiently grow. In fact, in the first eight years, one of these cacti, in the first eight years, grows about an inch and a half. And then they grow for the rest of their life, low and slow, able to weather storms, able to weather the, the desert heat, able to, to retain the, the rain or the dew that they do get to live long, long, productive lives. And yet, because of the heat, because of the, the long drought, the, the, the monsoon season that hasn't come in Arizona, because of the, the multiple days and multiple weeks where it's been over 110 degrees, these old, strong cacti are falling over and, and they're failing. Even though they were able to persevere for so long. And David's story sounds a lot like this in Psalm 63. David started out low and slow. David, an unassuming shepherd boy. 
chosen and, and anointed to be king of Israel, God's chosen people, only to have to take a back seat for a while, only to run into obstacle after obstacle, trusting what God's plan was for him and, and being able to persevere, but he had to patiently wait for the blessing in their season. And so just like those cacti can survive in those harsh climates, David has been able to survive for a long time through that low and slow process. But here in Psalm 63, we see something of a summer like we've had in Arizona here in David's life. Now, Absalom is, is one of David's children. And if you were to read 2 Samuel 13 to 18... Uh, you would see what David has been going through for now years with Absalom, his son. And you can read that on your own, or those of you who, who might have read it in preparation through the email, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. For this morning, we'll just give you a Cliff, Cliff Notes version, and that is that, that David, the son whom he loves and has so much going for him, has betrayed him. He's double-crossed him, and now he is, he is seeking to overthrow his dad. He's cast him off, and he's undercut him. And to make it worse, David's trusted counselors have now switched sides. David is in the palace and alone and realizing that his days are numbered if he stays there. And so he runs for his life. Although David... This tough old king by this place was able to persevere so much because of what he was going through time and time again, season after season. It's now too harsh and too hard and too long of a time. And he has to leave and hide in the wilderness again. And, and this, this psalm in Psalm 63 is where we see the heart of David. And so maybe this is something that explains where you are, maybe you have been able to persevere for some time. You've been able to get through some things. You've known there have been some hard times. And you know that people and, 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 and uh, events around you have been harsh, but you've been able to, up to this point, get through it. But maybe you feel like David here. Or maybe you feel like one of those cacti and you're starting to lean it's starting to be too much. You're starting to, to dry up. You're starting to grow thirsty and long for something. Then Psalm 63 is our song today. So I want to encourage you with this. David, this is his heart. He gives us really what I would say is a three-step model of how to get through the hard time. So how can we get through the hard times or the hard season? That really is the big idea. It's going to be this, that we remember to praise God, and that is how we're going to get through the hard times. Remembering to praise God is how we're going to get through the hard times. So we'll have a simple outline today, and you can see as you follow along. First, in verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 63, you'll, you'll see that we need to remember to praise Him for Him. Verses 5 to 8. Remember to praise God for help. And then verses 9 and 10 at the end, remember to praise God for hope. 
So let's just jump right in. Uh, Psalm 63, if you have your Bibles there, I'm just going to read those first four verses. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Because of that, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And so, as we come to this first step, when we see David at his lowest point, when we see him down, we see that David isn't, he's not bargaining uh, to shift the situation. He's not looking for an answer of why do bad things happen to good people. He's not even looking to another person to soothe his, his emotional condition. David wants God. That's it. You, you can see it right here. He says, I seek you, God. I'm thirsty for you, God. I'm fainting for you. Lord, you're all I want. You're, you're all that I, I need. And we can hear the desperation in, in David's voice. You, you see it here in the text. It says, my soul thirsts for you. This idea of being parched and, and, and barely able to speak and, and throat constricting and dry. And yet he lifts his voice through that and he says, I thirst for you. That idea of soul fainting collapsing towards something, yearning for something so bad that we, we feel it. Uh, so bad that we feel like if we don't get it, we're going to go crazy and, and we need to get it and we need to get it right now. That's David and he's, he's, he's leaning toward that. He's, he's saying, I want to remember to praise you uh, for you. I'm, I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you in the midst of this harsh situation. Pastor Ken asked us last week just this very thing. He's, he asked us, if you remember, is Jesus beautiful to you or just useful? Can we honestly echo the words of Psalm 73, 25 and 26? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's all of that for me. He, he's, he's everything to me. Can we say that? He alone is worthy of all my love and my worship and, and all of my life. And so we see this echo of what Pastor Ken brought us to last week. And, and now we see it in the Psalms. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If we were to go through the Psalms, we would see this hunger, this thirst uh, from the beginning to the end. And so I have to ask, what... What are you thirsty for this morning? If I could give you what it was that you are collapsing toward, the thing you're leaning toward, the thing that you're saying, after church is what I want to go to. This is what I need this week. What would that be? When you're in your harsh environment, where are you looking? What are you looking for for relief? Is it... Maybe something as mundane as a shorter commute to work. Maybe is it lower taxes. Maybe it's a more positive diagnosis. Maybe it's your husband would be nicer. 
Or maybe that your wife would be more respectful. And you say, that's what I, that's what I want this week. That'd be really nice. I, I wasn't thinking about that until right now, but I, I think that would be helpful. Maybe it's a more obedient child or a child who you know is walking with the Lord. And you're saying, if I just had that thing, I would feel better. I would feel more fulfilled. Maybe it's a more Christian culture. If, if, if the world just wasn't so crazy, I would be more content. And so often we feel like these cactus. We've been resilient. We've endured a lot. A lot of harshness. A lot of disappointment. A lot of struggle. A lot of suffering. But it just keeps coming. It doesn't seem like it stops. We feel like we need something more than God. We need something out there to change rather than being able to be full and satisfied in God. C.S. Lewis uh, challenges us in this way. He, he says it like this in, in one of his writings. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Do you believe that? Does that resonate with you? Because when David is down, what we see here in Psalm 63, that first step is that when he is down, he looks up. When David is down, he looks up to God. And he says, God, I need you to, to, to check my heart in this. We can find this in other places in Scripture. But he goes and he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So I've heard it said this way, that the devil can only get a hold of two types of people. And it's going to sound harsh, so you can be ready to write it down. Email me later. The devil can only get a hold of two types of people. Those who are greedy and those who are needy. The devil can't get a hold of you if you're not one of those two types of people. As we're saturated with the love of Christ, as we're content in God and God alone, that when we feel as though what we have is, is what God has given us, it's our portion and we are content with that, we're able to feel the grace of God raining down on us all of the time, even in the midst of the drought or the heavy storm or the, the, the heavy heat, then we can endure. We can get through the hard time. Whenever we understand that God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, as it says right here, then we're not tempted by the next fad, the next lottery idea. I can pray. I can work hard. I can thank God for what I have. I can leave the results to him. I can be joyful in the midst of conversation with people that I disagree with. I'm not chasing another dollar here, another hour of work here, another toy here. But I'm, I'm stable, I'm fixed, I'm settled, I'm at rest. Those who are needy, 
And we know what this feels like. And, and I want to be very careful here because we are all so needy. We're, we're all so thirsty and hungry for things. And, and, and desiring better is not wrong. And so I want to be very careful here, but we understand how this comes out in conversation. We, we understand that at times we are quick to complain about the way things go and the place we work. I need more out of my job, or I need more out of my spouse, or I need more out of my, uh, the, the, the people who are underneath me. And it comes through when we hear people talk about what they're not getting from those things. I need something more from that in order to be joyful, in order to be content. It might be more money, or again, it, it might be um, something that is, that is um, in a relationship. But the question that is always going to haunt us, and frankly keep many of us tied down, is what if that thing never changes? What if, what if the job never treats you like you deserve to be treated? What if they treat you like a bondservant? And what if they let you know that's what you are? What if your husband never gets nicer? What if he never communicates the way that you think he should be able to communicate and probably should be able to communicate? And husband, what about if your wife doesn't grow in her respect and, and admiration of what you do? What if that season never ends? What will we be left with if it's not God alone? And so David answers these temptations. He, he says, I want you. I want, I want God. He, you can look back down in the text. He says, um, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary because you're my God, because I thirst for you, I faint for you. Verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Because this is the big idea of, of this point. Life is short and eternity is long. Life is short and eternity is long. As we contemplate that, as we consider that, we start to understand why it is that David can be uplifted and be, and be joyful and be going to God and saying, saying your steadfast love is better than life. He says, I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. God's power and his glory and his presence were represented in the, the temple, in, in the tabernacle. Here we see it in the sanctuary in the Old Testament. When Jesus Christ came, he revealed the power and the presence of God, and he will come again in glory. The steadfast love of Jesus is better than life because it's bigger than life. It's eternal. It's longer than life. I, I know in a, a congregation this size that maybe you haven't heard that life is but a vapor and it vanishes away very quickly. If you've never heard that before, if you've never felt that before, please know that this life is short and eternity is long. 
So we, we cling to that because we believe that. That's why we can respond to hard times with joy and, and with faith. That's why David could respond that way with joy and with faith, saying, God, I only want you. And, and why? Because God had a track record of helping David. He'd received help in the past. And so as we go into verse 5, we'll see this second idea that, that we need to remember to praise God for help. We understand that, that, that the steadfast love of God is better than life. All the drama, trauma, peace, entertainment, all of that, God is better than that. But it, the psalmist says, David says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is so poetic. It's, it's so Beautiful when he says that, that my, uh, my soul will be satisfied why or when, in verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I'm, I'm often up at 3 in the morning. Maybe there are some of you who are up at 3 in the morning too. And what it is that we think about at three in the morning is going to have a, an amazing impact on what we do at three in the afternoon and what we do at 10 in the morning and what we do at, at six o'clock at night. Where does your mind go at three in the morning when you're awoken? What is it that you think about? So I'm, I'm often awake at 3 in the morning, and uh, it, it happens when things get hot. I'm awake more often at 3 in the morning than usual. And, and as soon as I find myself awake in the dark, even before I look at the phone and realize what time it is, I discipline myself to think on God. And, and I say discipline for a very real reason, because my mind is prone to wander. My mind is prone to, to start to, to run. I, I start thinking about the deadline that's looming or the hard conversation that I know that I need to have or remembering what she said or remembering what I said. And it just keeps me up. My mind races like it's running for its life. I lose track of my mind. I lose track of the time. It's been an hour or more, and now I'm even more discouraged and even more tired than before. And frankly, I've gotten tired of being tired. And so when I wake up at three in the morning, I discipline myself to think on God. And I'll just let you in. I, I, the, the things that I say in my mind um, are, and, and I know what comes into my mind. I just told you those things that, that roll around in my mind and how fast they can happen. But I basically wake up, I, I think about those things, I, I give that to God, and I say, God, I know that you know about this. I know that you're a good God, and I have this relationship with you, and I know that is and should be enough. 
But there's something in me that's still very, very scared. There's something in me that's still very, very sad. There's something in me that's still very, very mad. And God, I need you to take that. I will not sleep if you don't take it. And I say, and it might sound religious, but I say, Father, your servant needs rest. Please give me your rest. And I say it over and over and over again until I wake up and I do it again. When, when we see that David is here remembering him upon his bed, meditating on him in the watches of the night, the Bible is so real here. David is saying, my soul will be satisfied and I will praise you when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. This really is the big idea. This really is actually the middle of the psalm. What we think about is so important to the way that we're going to live out our Christian life. And in the watches of the night, in the middle of the night, when those thoughts are keeping you awake, how are we going to find that satisfaction? It's going to be by remembering and praising God and meditating on God. As you read the Psalms, the idea comes up all the time. If you were to turn to the the first song in the Psalms, and we'll just, I'll flip over there very quickly. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If I go the other way, Psalm 77. Psalm 77 says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders from old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. When David is down, he looks back with gratitude. He, he looks back and he sees what it is that God has done for him. And he knows that he is not going to leave him where he is now. He's going to continue to, to walk with him. True satisfaction is going to be found here, remembering God. It's not going to be found focusing on others. It's not going to be found in focusing on yourself. Whether or not it is that you are constantly or consistently defending how good you are and saying, you know what, I'm doing this right and this right and I don't know why things aren't going better. Or you're focusing on self and you're talking about how bad you are. And you're saying, oh, I never measure up. I never measure up to to what I think I should be or what I could be or what I see others are. When we focus on others and when we focus on self, we drill ourselves into the ground. We keep ourselves awake at night. We aren't available to be able to to talk to other people about um, our experiences and our strength and our hope. We're not here because we're perfect. In fact, we're not even here because we're good, but we're here because of the Good Shepherd. We're not here to point out the bad in everyone else, but we're to focus on the God who took our badness so that we could be free to do good. 
Being saved from sin and the, the death penalty of sin is the greatest wonder that, that any of us could experience. It's the greatest memory that we could experience. It's the greatest remembrance that we could have. Colossians 3 picks up this idea and, and we see that in verses 2 through 4, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is this your story? Have you died to yourself? Do you see your life as being hidden in Christ and being Christ itself? Do you know that he lived that perfect, good life for you so that you don't have to pay the penalty for not having done so? He was your substitute. He was your replacement. And he does it happily. Would you receive that? Would you accept that? Would you, would you understand that? And, and as many of us in the room have, would you be able to remember that to give you hope? You know, to experience salvation is to have a memory that reminds you of God's goodness and mercy. The memory of being a saved child of God is the best memory. That memory gives lasting hope. One author has put it this way. A person who has the habit of hope also has the habit of remembering. Hope needs memories the way a writer needs notes. Hope needs memories the way a writer needs hope, needs notes. You know, I talk with a lot of people about these things. I, I remind many of the people that I have the pleasure and the, the privilege to walk with, and I point out small victories, and I, and I point out big, courageous steps that they've taken. And so often, people minimize the positive, and they maximize the negative. Now, that's normal. I do it too. Someone can, can say something nice about me and, and I deflect it or I minimize it. Someone says something critical to me and it feels like I've written it with permanent marker right across my forehead. I feel like I see it every time I look in the mirror. I feel like I, other people see it when they're looking at me. So you're not alone in that. But we need to be able to get our eyes off of ourself in that and, and put them on the remembrance of God. Remembering what he's done for us through Christ. So milestones are memories. Don't, don't minimize them, but cherish them. Remember those memories are the notes of the song of your life. And so to my son Gabriel, let's remember what we did today. Let's go. Yeah, do I, have your, do I have your attention now? Yeah, all right, good. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, these moments, these memories, these milestones are God's proof that he's there to help you in life. Take a couple of moments and think about 